Welcome. This is K-Pop Sunday brought to you by K-Pop Sunday before you have to go back to work on Monday. We are your hosts, Onyx, Min, and JR. Welcome to episode 16. Today we're going to be talking about groups that had some pretty drastic concept changes. Since most K-pop groups will change their style sometime during their lifetime, because everybody grows and changes, that's very normal, we will mostly be focusing on groups that had very drastic changes. And if there is a group that we didn't mention at all in this episode that you're like, why didn't you mention this group? We might have actually written about them in our script, but had to cut them out because this episode could easily be four hours long. But let's start off with some concept changes that didn't really go that well. So first up, let's talk about Baby Vox and how at debut, their debut song, Two Men, was not received well. It had lyrics such as, Mom, please leave me alone. I'm not a doll for mom. And congratulations on the appearance of a boy. Secret to democracy. Be sure to succeed. I'll keep in mind for you. Be careful with democracy. And other things. They were considered to be quite edgy and very independent. But Korea was not really into that. And so they dropped it very fast. They never went back into a sort of societal critique. Which is kind of sad because at first they were kind of being compared to H.O.T. and the Spice Girls with that sort of attitude. Because that was how they were supposed to be promoted. But then they kind of just gave up. Which is kind of sad that after only one's track, they didn't hang on to it. But it's also in a, really something that's very important. Because Babybox gets kind of overlooked with the fact that they debuted before groups like S.E.S., FinKL and other first-generation girl groups, so they could have set the standard to have female groups also give societal critiques like boy groups. But because theirs was not received well, no other group attempted it. No other girl group that was like of like the main groups of the companies. So that was something that kind of changed the course of K-pop history. Never really happened again. Well, it did, but not for groups of that time period such an important historical moment because like it was criticizing first of all women needing to depend upon men and like sort of tolerating things that men do and this is also talking about like democracy and such so that would have lined up with other groups at that time as well as like with once again the Spice Girls was also growing at that time so they could have lined it up very well but because it wasn't taken very well then they kind of switched to where a lot of people think that their debut track was actually haircut and that was how, when I first found out about them, I thought their track was haircut as well. Back when I was watching those Korean countdown shows, they're like, oh, this is their debut track. But then it turns out, no, Two Men was the real debut track. But then they kind of just left Two Men in the dust, which is really sad. This is a razor. Well, yeah, especially because considering Baby Vox's legacy and considering the, the female groups that came from that company afterwards... It's such a sad departure that it just went into more like love songs. Like, yes, they have some great music, some very talented members, but a lot of things that they could have done that just because of that one track were just halted immediately. And that affected how everyone else just sort of attempted it in the future. Next up, we have double A or AA. Bad K-pop naming conventions, basically. This group, in a way, only had two main singles. So if you only look at their 
debut single, So Crazy, which came out in 2011 and was a really emotional, kind of dark song, said to be very sexy, very charismatic. And then their follow-up single would be their 2013 single, Okay About It, which is completely flip side, super cute, super upbeat, very eggy That is a huge, huge shift. And then the group disbanded. But if you actually look into their discography, they had many more singles, which were also pretty all over the place. With the song Rolling Rolling, which was really cute, but got banned. And they're very... We are a 2010s boy group song <laughs> comeback, which is very... I don't know how to explain it, but if you've heard boy groups in the 2010s, that's basically what comeback is. And then they also have the super strange Midnight Taxi, which was also a pre-release single, I think. So yeah, their discography turned out to be a bit more all over the place. So it's a bit sad that this kind of short-lived boy group is only remembered for going from sexy, nope, going <laughs> from very mature to super cute without people looking into their other songs, which are also kind of cute, kind of strange. It was a weird mess. This group didn't disband because of their concept change. But if you only listen to their music, it really seems like that's why they disbanded. Anyway, should we move on to a different group? Yes. Because <laughs> I have talked myself into circles here. <laughs> Please, take it away from me. The next group we're going to talk about is Newest, and they're actually kind of a wild card for this category because while their concept changes did have an adverse effect on the group, they actually ended up coming out strong, and we'll see that in a little bit. But Newest is a five-member boy group that debuted under Pletus Entertainment in 2012, and they were also Pletus's first ever boy group. And some of the members actually featured in a handful of their sister group, After School's music videos and some other projects with the members, so there was a good amount of anticipation for their debut. The group consists of Aaron, Beko, JR, Minhyun, and Ren. Their fandom name is Love, and their official colors are Deep Teal and Vivid Pink. Their debut track, Face, was a hard-hitting EDM track with a strong message against bullying, and the music video had a lot of leather, a lot of pink, and a lot of vests. Vests that looked kind of like jackets with no arms on it, so not nerdy-looking vests. I don't know. They were really trying to push the cool vibe. <laughs> so for a little over four years, they actually held the record for the most views on a K-pop debut video. And currently it has over 100 million views, which is crazy because when I first watched it, it was probably in the 50 millions and that was five years ago. And it only was surpassed by twice in 2016 by their debut video, which had been out for a year at that point. Four months after Face's release, the boys made a comeback with the song Action, which again following in a similar concept, which was social critique, although this time, instead of anti-bullying, they were saying to break the mold and not follow in the same footsteps as everyone else, to essentially take action. It did really well on the charts, coming in at number four on the Guyon album chart, and this showed that their popularity was steadily rising. In fact, they even had an agreement with McDonald's at the time, Side note, this is my least favorite of their title tracks, but the EP gave me my favorite B-side, which is Not Over You, and I highly recommend it. You guys should look at it. It's very different than action, but it's also a B-side. We're looking mainly at title tracks here. Then, on February 13th, 2013, the group made their return with Hello, 
And this was a complete 180 from their previous title tracks because, for one thing, it was a ballad, and second, the message was fairly generic in comparison to their other two releases, which had focused on social issues. And instead of the music video being metallic like the past two, there was a lot of muted black and white tones, and the outfits were very mainstream. And this was actually, at the time, their highest charting EP, coming in at number three on the Guyon music chart. And that was actually pretty surprising to me because this is not sourced, this is not cited in any way, but when I got into the fandom, a lot of people seemed to say that it was Hello that was their downfall because they moved away from the concept that shot them into the public eye and they started doing a ballad and it was not well received, but I don't know how that kind of coincides with them actually coming in at number three on the charts, so... I don't know. But following this release, the album sales started to steadily drop. Sleep Talking was then released a few months later, and this again was a major divergence from the concepts of face slash action and hello. It was very bubbly, very colorful, and it had awful styling. Anyone will tell you that. <laughs> that being said, I really love this track. It's really fun. The choreography is really cute, and so is the music video. But I could understand fans feeling like perhaps the group was unsure of the direction that they were going in. I just want to add a side note. Yeah, go ahead. Sleep Talking was actually the first K-pop cover video I posted on YouTube. Really? I had learned other K-pop songs before, but that was the first one that I filmed and uploaded and I filmed it outside. And I look like shit. <laughs> the video still exists. Oh and my god, don't look at it. Yes, no, please, send us the link. I want to see it so bad. We actually, you know we won't. Oh, it's so bad. We will not make fun of you. Vanity will be like, oh, that's cool. I learned a lot of K-pop songs back in the day and then just never filmed covers of them. It was really fun choreography. I mean, I understand. It was. Yeah. There were no promotions for almost 10 months following that. And I mean promotion in South Korea, because Pletus established a relationship with a Chinese company, and during that time, the group was promoting in China with an additional member, Jason. Some of you might actually know him if you watched the show The Collaboration Season 2 in 2018. He went by the name Longfei in that show. And it was really weird, because he was interacting with 17 members, although he probably didn't know them. But they were from the same company. And I just, I was, I was watching it and I, it was just weird. I don't know. That's actually really interesting. I've never heard that before. Because I was looking at him and I was like, this guy, he looks so familiar. Because June and the 8 participated in it. And also Samuel, actually. So Samuel was a really? former Pledis trainee. Yeah, yeah. As we have seen many a time, if your group is not well established and the company sends them overseas, it disrupts their fan base. And I strongly feel like it was not a great idea to send Newest to China at this time. And I think Pletus eventually figured that out too, because in 2014, after only two promotions, the agreement was dissolved, Jason was let go, and the group changed their name from Newest M to Newest China. And I don't think they have been <laughs> back since, but I could be wrong. Ten months later, they finally had a Korean comeback with their first full album, Rebirth, and the title track was Good Bye Bye. I really love this track. It got me into the group. I know it's not their most well-known track, but it's really good. I highly recommend it. 
This too was pretty different from the other music they had released up to this point, and we have said it before, but it kind of made them a generic dark boy group. It's a good concept, and that's why so many people use it, but it is also rampant in the k-pop industry and nobody has not fell victim to it at some point i think <laughs> this was supposed to show that the group had matured also i feel like i should mention this newest is a fairly long-running group and their members are very young for being almost a 10 year old group aaron was born in 93 and the other four members were born in 95 so when they debuted they were they were children and I just, I really love the styling for this music video, even if it was very similar to other ones. But overall, the concept was really dark and broody, and it was a breakup song, but I think it also kind of had a good message at the end, if I remember correctly. It was not unique, I would say. Doesn't make it a bad song, though. Another long stretch of time passed, and are we seeing a pattern here? They released their fourth EP, which is called Q Is, and the title track for that was Overcome, and then shortly after that, Canvas, with the title track Love Paint, was released. This song actually gained them their first music show nomination, although that did not pan out, but both of those comebacks were in 2016, about six months apart, and this was kind of surprising because they did not usually have comebacks so close to each other. Regardless, both these releases are fantastic and the music videos are very beautiful. Overcome is very cinematic and feels kind of steampunk. There's a lot of navy blues, a lot of whites, and it's just very pleasing to look at. And then Love Paint is very soft, pastel, and chill. And they are very different in terms of imagery, but the songs and the music felt very unique to newest and it felt like they were finally coming into themselves in terms of concept and what direction the music itself was going in. And then it all went quiet. It was announced in early 2017 that Produce 101 was coming back, this time to make the nation's boy group. And newest, with the exception of Aaron, was going to participate. This was really heartbreaking for fans, but to the boys it felt like it was their last chance. The entire show is pretty difficult to watch because the fact that the boys were pretty much at the end of their rope was heavily played up. And fans knew that the boys had been struggling because in the past there had been mentions of it and JR felt that he was to blame because he was the leader. And this is evident from past revelations. And he also mentioned it on Produce 101 and did not even want to be the leader for some of the groups because of that. And that is ironically part of the reason why he became so popular because he actually has great leadership skills. On top of that, for those of you who don't know, Kahi was one of the mentors on that season, and she is also a former member of After School, meaning she knew the members of Newest pretty well, especially JR because he was Pletus's first male trainee, and all those interactions are very difficult to watch. There's a lot of emotion in this season, just overall, but also specifically with the Newest members. But thankfully, their strengths were shown even through evil editing, and they grew quite the fan base through the show. And in the end, only Minhyun made it through to 101, but the rest of the boys enjoyed great success with their subunit, Newest W, and the promotions they had during that time actually got them their first win, although it wasn't as a whole group. But if you watch the clip, I guarantee you'll cry because they get very emotional, and they hold the record for taking the longest to get a first win.
Through all of this, they became known as reversal icons, and like I mentioned a few episodes back, Hello climbed to the top of the charts and even ranked on Inkigayo almost four years after its release. And there's another thing I wanted to mention quickly. There's an interview with Newest W where Beko talks about how at their last fan meet, which I assume was for Love Paint era, they only had around 70 fans show up for a group that is as long-standing as them. That's kind of heartbreaking. But as newest W and the most current comeback at the time, they sold out 5,000 seats in three minutes, which is incredible, and I'm super proud of them. Overall, it seems like at first newest struggled to find their footing concept-wise, trying just about anything from darker concepts to ballads to quirky concepts. Yet, following their appearance on Produce 101, where they showed incredible resolve, leadership, and talent, they came out winners and have never been better. Minhyun returned in 2019 and they've had great success with their comebacks and have even won their first ever music show win. And they are also preparing for a release right now and I'm super excited for it and you guys should check it out because it will definitely be out by the time this episode goes up. So now we're going to move on to changes that happened in concept, but the effects of it were pretty neutral. It didn't make or break the group in any way. So Onyx, can you tell us a little bit about some classic k-pop groups and their concept changes yeah so i'm mainly going to talk about three. First up let's talk about xinhua who a lot of people remember them for let's put it this way they don't really remember xinhua for their debut track which was called resolver the main reason for that is they didn't really hit immediate success with it and sm was very discouraged at the time when xinhua debuted it was very common for boy groups to debut with a societal critique as like their main track or like a song that just really hits you in the gut because H.O.T. did it and they got that idea from Sotei and Boys and it's a whole thing which we will discuss at a later date but it did not really work out for Xinhua. No one was really interested. It's like okay that's interesting and you guys are rocking back and forth. But it didn't really change until they more focused on love songs. And it's kind of interesting with Xinhua because they sort of led a very different path for K-pop groups where they were one of the first large K-pop groups to, instead of heavily feature societal critiques as their main title tracks, they switched to love songs since Resolver. Like, they hadn't really returned to it. Songs like... T.O.P. or Wedding, songs that like everybody knows or brand new. But it's just interesting because that was really what led away from future male idol groups from leaning on societal critiques in their discography, which H.O.T. had kind of set the precedence from Sotejian Boys. So yeah, Xinhua did that. I want to put a disclaimer for their lyrics. Xinhua likes to use the N-word, at least in their old stuff. So if you come across it, just keep that in mind. I, we don't want you guys to go into things and be shocked. But it is kind of shocking. It is. Just putting that out there. Ish. Because, like, I don't think we ever mentioned this in our international K-pop idol episode. But at that time, there were quite a few tracks where if the foreign member was probably from L.A., <laughs> And then they moved to Korea and they wrote lyrics. 
a lot of times there was the n-word somewhere in a track or two like that was actually pretty common i will even say mm-hmm. even hot same thing am i disappointed and kind of surprised yes and we're not excusing it in any way but it is a product of their time which was very different but it's never okay so also it's from also it's though it's also where they were as well and what was no i don't want to say acceptable but like what was common around there mm-hmm. too which i uh, yeah so just want to give you a heads up because I know that there are a lot of people in the K-pop community, especially international fans, mainly international fans, not Korean fans, who do not want to touch that. When looking at old discography, you have to realize that there's some things that happened back then that we don't do now for a very good reason. So anyway, wow, that derailed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do I come back after that? End of disclaimer. <laughs> but then- <laughs> There it is. <laughs> Moving back into other groups, let's talk about TVXQ because if you're an older K-pop fan, you probably are aware of their discography before the split, but for the first three albums, the title tracks really leaned on the idea of them being deities because like the full name is Tombong Shinki. It basically means the gods rising from the east. So especially with tracks like Triangle and O, oh, they sort of had this presentation of themselves as being gods looking down on humanity and sort of discussing it as sort of like detached not really humans looking at themselves and that concept really disappeared for them around Mirotic but then after the split they never picked it up again really it went from them having a title track that looked at themselves as deities to them looking at themselves as more kings of k-pop and like very fashionable men but you wouldn't see a concept like oh from the duo nowadays but that mainly changed after the split and it's kind of interesting how both groups since the split both of them have very different discographies at first but then they kind of i don't want to say stagnated but didn't really stray too far from the same vein as their fourth album Miratic. So that's just something that I thought that was kind of interesting as a longtime fan, which is how it kind of stuck. For the first four albums, they were known as like, okay, with every new album, they were constantly evolving and changing. And they have very different feel per album. But then after Mirotic, it was more classy. And it kind of stayed that way. Although, like, you want to say, you know, Keep Your Head Down wasn't. It was very much full of passion and fire. But it was still very classy. They never returned to stuff such as Triangle or O, which I think is kind of interesting. And then the last group I kind of want to mention where the change didn't really impact the group, didn't really make or break them. It was just something, an interesting change to sort of note. And then the last group I want to talk about who, they had a concept change, but it didn't really make or break the group. It's just interesting to watch the change, which that's the same way with Xinhua and TVXQ. I want to talk about Detskis because they were originally the tough, cool teens. But since the reunion, they've mainly been fluffy, mature idols. Not really like them in attitude. It didn't really like change them personally, but how they approached projects and like music videos. Like if you look at the original version of Couple, the original music video for it, 
and then you compare it to the recent one when they got back together, those are two very different ways of viewing it. And it's very fascinating how like it's a very clear distinction between young idol versus a mature idol who's coming back into it in the industry, but looking at the same song, same lyrics, same people, but through a different lens. And 15 years later. Yeah, no, it's that's the most interesting part is how long of a time period has passed. And even though, yes, they lost a member originally when they got back together because there was a member who decided he did not want to promote actively with them anymore. Even if he had, it still would have been more mature, in my opinion. I don't think that adding him there would have made them go like pong sang pong sa, like, you know, like the back in those days. You know, I just think it's very interesting because they did have that split. Whereas if you look at Xinhua or at Super Junior who have had very long careers, they haven't had a gap in concept quite like Zetsky's. And also there's other groups that are like first generation that have also matured, but they're the one that is probably the most startling, at least to me. So we're kind of done talking about some comebacks that we're just kind of, huh, interesting. That's different. Let's talk about some stuff that's, as a nice way of saying, all over the place. In 2011, Top Glass Media debuted the girl group Stellar. They debuted with the single Rocket Girl, which was a electro-type dance song, quirky fashion. The song was composed by the same man who composed Lee Hiori's 10 Minutes. And the big selling point of Stellar was that Eric Munn of Shinwa was the person who produced this group and also helped promote it. A lot of Stellar's promotions were very reliant on Eric Munn. But not long after the release of Rocket Girl, two of the four members left the group. And as happens, got replaced. And then they released their second single, UFO which was also another quirky electro dance song. In 2013, you could see the group's first concept change with the release of Study, which took a turn for a more cute and youthful, quite girly song. And it was also their first song to place in the top 100 on the Gaian digital charts, but it only placed on number 90, so it wasn't exactly popular. Towards the end of 2013, Eric Moon's contract with Top Class Media expired and he chose to leave. So Top Class Media turned into the Entertainment Pascal. And in 2014, Stellar had a comeback and since everything they'd done previously failed and Eric Moon left and had nothing to do with this group from this point on, Marionette was released. And it is their most infamous song ever. There was a lot of controversy about the song and not just the music video being super sexualized. Not just, oh, it's sexy, the girls doesn't look like they're enjoying anything that they're doing in this music video. Because they probably weren't. But also, everything surrounding the song, from its promotional materials to its live performances, were highly controversial, and it's a topic we maybe will talk about at a later point in a different episode. But Marionette managed to reach number 35 on the Gone Charts. They're at this point, highest ranking song ever. So in 2015 and 2016, they kept it sexy with the singles Mask, Fool, Vibrato, and Sting all showing very sexualized themes. 
Though in the music video for Fool, you could see negative comments that they got from their previous releases being heavily featured. So somebody in their promotional team or writing theme is at least somewhat self-aware. And many people have also been saying that Sting, which is more recent than Fool, was also a response to the hate that Stellar has gotten for their very sexy concepts. So we're so far at two concept changes, and they had two more! <laughs> In 2016, they released Crying, which was a really intense throwback to their original electro dance music, but they didn't really go back to that quirky, weird fashion. They were still pretty mature, less sexy, but still like, we're adults. And in June 2017, Stellar came back with yet another new concept and an extra member with the release of the singles Archangels of Sephiroth. This new concept was very dark and mysterious and fantastical, but this song didn't sell well. It didn't do horrible, but it did nowhere near as well as Sting. So not long after this release, members left, some new members were added, but they didn't release any new music, and then they just disbanded. They were sadly a whole mess, maybe we're gonna do an episode on them and actually talk in depth about them, but they had a lot of concept changes. Some for the better, some for the worse, some that people didn't even know about. Let's go over to a concept change that actually went for the better. Let's start with the Dark Ages and talk about a group that debuted in 2014 as five-member girl group under the name Minx with the single Why Did You Come To My Home, which is a fairly normal mid-2000s girl group song. The following December, they featured on the Christmas single Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree with Dal Shabet. In July 2015, Minx released their first EP, Love Shake, with the single Love Shake, which is a remake of Dal Shabet's Love Shake from their 2012 album Bang Bang. Not weird, seeing as Minx is the younger sister of Dal Shabet. There's a connection. Love Shake was better received than their previous single, but it became Minx's last single. So now, let's talk about the Age of Enlightenment. JR? While that may have been the end of Minx, Dreamcatcher was soon to come on the scene. On November 29th, 2016, now a year since Minx's last release, Happy Face Entertainment announced that Minx would re-debut under the name Dreamcatcher with all the original members plus two new ones. This change was not only going to be a name and lineup change, but a complete revamp of the group who is now going to debut all over again, this time with a horror concept. Happy Face Entertainment stated that Dreamcatcher will bring new life to the music industry with a completely new and unexpected genre and music style. Only a day after this statement, the group's logo and official webpage were released, showcasing this new style. A few months later, on January 13th, 2017, Dreamcatcher's first single album, Nightmare, was released. And then, five days later, they held their debut stage for Chase Me on M Countdown. Since then, they have released five EPs with over 10 singles and held concerts all over the world. They are Happy Face Entertainment's most popular active girl group, which isn't hard due to them being the entertainment's only active girl group right now because Dal Shabet has left the company. Also, Dreamcatcher has been given their own sub-label under Happy Face Entertainment called Dreamcatcher Company, which is something that Happy Face does quite a bit actually if you look at their other groups. Dreamcatcher is currently the most successful girl group who mixes rock and metal influences into their K-pop sound, and that is one of the reasons that they are so well-loved. Should go listen to them if you have not listened to Dreamcatcher yet. They're really cool. 
They even let the rappers sing in ballads. No. I just love shocking. that. Yeah, because in Deja Vu is like their ballad-ish song. The rapper actually sings. She doesn't rap. It's amazing. K-pop groups, let your rappers sing on ballads because rap awkwardly placed in ballads isn't great. So overall, concept changes can be a good thing, but they can also be a bad thing. And sometimes they just don't really do anything at all. But that's okay. It's fun to see our idols change concepts and images and hairstyles, specifically. I enjoy the hairstyles. Now, Onyx, why don't you give us the trivia answer? Right. Last time, I asked, Xinhua are known for being K-pop legends and having a long career, but do you know what their debut track was? If you listened to this episode a bit, I kind of gave you the answer. Like a teacher who knows that their class is not going to do well on the test and is trying to give them hints about direct questions. The answer was Resolver. Did you know about that? Or did you learn it in this episode? So for the song of the day, released on May 24th, 2010, SS501 released their 8th EP, Destination, with the single Love Ya. A very dramatic song backed with an orchestra, and a music video features a lot of deconstructed suits and hip thrusts. That's all you need to know about that song. <laughs> okay. Also, on May 24th, 2010, Ali, she released her second single, Hey Mister, a low-key 80s-inspired dance song, which is very fun, and the music video got some flack for being too sexual. Bummer. I feel like that's a theme with today's songs. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and tell your friends about us. If you want to interact with us or just see more of our content, then you can follow us on Twitter, at K-pop Sundays, or on our other social media platforms, which will be in the description, as well as a link to our script, which is jam-packed with sources. Also, don't forget that our next episode comes out on June 7th, 2020. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.